This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Well, here we are. Pfizer asking for emergency use authorization from the FDA for its COVID-19 vaccine. So is this a big step forward toward getting back to something that looks more normal? One member of President-elect Joe Biden's coronavirus task force team says he's angry. He's angry that the outgoing Trump administration is not sharing life-saving data and resources to halt the pandemic. His plea to President Trump just ahead. California imposing an overnight curfew in hopes of spreading the virus. We'll talk to the state's chief of public health. Health officials are pleading with Americans not to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday like they normally do. After all, these are not normal times. But if you must cut turkey with your grandma with a nephew flying back home from college, what can you do to fend off the virus? And rushing through the doors of your favorite store, probably out this year, no Black Friday. So what is holiday shopping going to look like in the middle of the pandemic? But first, our vaccine dreams. Is it safe to hope again? Is it is it all right to start dreaming of a return to normalcy in the not-too-distant future? That is what we are asking as Pfizer files for emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine candidate. Dr. Gregory Poland directs the vaccine research group at the Mayo Clinic. So a lot of questions still about this because of the timeline. It happened so fast. So what do we actually know about the efficacy, the side effects of this Pfizer vaccine? What we have is a press release, but we do have the published papers for the phase two and phase one studies. These are slivers of results. They basically are saying in our study subjects who had not been previously infected and were seven days past the second dose, the efficacy was about 95%. Which is better than we expected initially. So good news there. Also seems to work for elderly populations. Good news there. Uh, The next step, for them is this emergency use authorization. We talk a lot about that, but then sometimes we don't go past it because we've been waiting for it all this time. So what happens if they get that? All right, so what happens is uh, December 8th, 9th, 10th, in that time period, the FDA Advisory Committee, these are independent experts. I served on that committee for two terms. We'll gather, they'll hear uh, from the pharmaceutical sponsors. They will see all the data. FDA will ask them questions and the, uh, the VRPAC, the independent committee, will give their recommendations about this. Now, the, the uh, manufacturer can ask for an EUA, which FDA can decline or accept. They could also grant what's called an expanded access. Um, so which one they'll do and in what order is unclear at this point until they have the meeting. What don't we know about the Pfizer vaccine, and for that matter, the Moderna vaccine, because Moderna also is claiming about a 95, roughly, percent efficacy rate. What don't we know about these vaccines? Yeah, what what we don't know yet, because we haven't seen the data, doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but uh, will it prevent a symptomatic infection? In other words, prevent transmission? Does it prevent complications? Does it prevent death? Because they weren't studied, we will know nothing yet about safety or efficacy in children, in pregnant women, 
in the eldest of the eldest, in people who are Im highly immunocompromised. And the other interesting observation is that we won't know what the efficacy is with masks off and no distancing. Because of course they're being studied at a time when thoughtful people are wearing masks and are distancing. Are you suggesting uh, that by definition, people who are in the trials from which this data is being assembled are because of just who they are and what they're doing, and we're living in a time, as you just pointed out, with masks and social distancing, that it's a skewed population that's being studied? Yeah, then that's always the case in a clinical trial. So when we hear 95% efficacy, it will not be 95% efficacy in routine, so to speak, field use, because people will not handle the vaccine properly. Uh, they'll use it in the wrong way. Uh, people who would not have been admitted into the clinical trial will get it. So for all of those reasons, it will be lower but 95% as a starting point is a grand slam. Who would have thought? We were being prepared and thinking it was going to be something in the 50 to maybe 70%. Which is where the flu shot is usually, right? And everybody runs in, out in or good, they tell us to, to run year. out and get those. Okay. Yeah, in a good in a good year for adults, higher in children, but yeah. All right. Dr. Gregory Poland directs the vaccine research group at the Mayo Clinic. President-elect Joe Biden slamming President Trump and the White House for refusing to share key government data about the COVID-19 pandemic. Mr. Biden saying his soon-to-be predecessor is demonstrating, and I'm quoting now, incredible irresponsibility. One member of the president-elect's coronavirus task force is taking one step further, saying this lack of data sharing angers him. WCCO's Chad Harmon spoke with Dr. Michael Osterholm, director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, University of Minnesota, who recently joined the Biden task force. The lack of information sharing from President Trump to President-elect, the normal transition has not taken place, including on the COVID side. If the president, because this is all dictated by President Trump, if he continues to emphasize week after week after week that he really won the election, that Joe Biden will not be the president and does not participate at all in a transition. There's reports today that they're participating just a little bit. If you, the president-elect, the vice president-elect, don't have information from what the White House is doing right now in COVID-19, what concerns you most about that possibility? Well, first of all, let me just say I don't speak for the transition team. You know, I'm a, an advisor on the advisor group on COVID. Uh, but let me just tell you my own experience. Since I've joined that group, uh, and I now am one of those people prohibited from having any conversations with my federal counterparts, people who I talk to every day prior to this. Uh, the, the, the silence, the darkness of that communication is absolutely dangerous. It is dangerous. Uh, we are now putting people's lives at risk over a political issue that I'm not here to, to voice one way or the other. You know, I, I, I served for a year and a half in this administration as a science envoy for the State Department. You know, you know I've tried to call balls and strikes yes. the way they are. Right. I can tell you, though, that what's happening right now, because it has so much to do how vaccine will be moved, 
where it will go, how we convince the public to use the vaccines. You know, it, we can have all the vaccine in the world, and if people won't take it, we have accomplished little to nothing. And so now we have this urgent need to understand distribution. We have an urgent need to understand how we will educate the public about the vaccines. And I worry desperately that this is all stalling out. And so from that perspective, this is just simply dangerous. And I hope everyone, without regard to partisan politics, emphasizes that to our leaders in Washington, please let us move ahead in this area. This is so important. And it's people's lives that are on the line. And, and we need this information. All we're doing is talking about sharing information, sharing planning, sharing the ability to actually begin uh, to use the vaccines in, in I think, a, the most effective way possible to bring this pandemic to a halt. And uh, without that, I, I, it angers me, frankly. It just angers me that after all these years in public health, I am now, like so many of the rest of us, literally uh, not able to do our job that's just stunning i mean that is unacceptable and is indefensible at this point you could have all these conversations if all this new information comes out rudy giuliani just had about an hour press conference if all of a sudden it overturns three straight three states which would need to happen fine the president continues but if as expected and there's no proof of widespread fraud there is no downside, Mike, of giving you and others the normal ability to talk to folks or, as you said, with some specifics now to understand. I mean, we have more good news today on a Oxford vaccine. These, the news on vaccine is fantastic, and the president does deserve some of that credit. But why slow anything down? It should be all about country and not about um, – a chase of something that still can happen and information still can be shared. The two don't have to be separate. They don't. And you know what? These are our families. These are our friends. These are our colleagues' lives that are on the line right now. These are our healthcare systems that are about to implode. That is not an exaggeration. That is not an extreme position. We will be seeing in the upcoming weeks, if we don't change the course of this, People literally dying in our emergency room waiting rooms just to get a bed because they've been there for 10 hours. Um, you know, you saw it yesterday. I mean, the Mayo Clinic, 900 people out with COVID there that work there yeah. in that system. Yep. Uh, and then many more that are out because of uh, quarantine. We're seeing that in healthcare systems all around the country at a time when we actually need more of these skilled healthcare workers. I talk to healthcare workers every day that are broken. I, I just talked to a nurse the day before yesterday who for the fourth time that day had a patient who she had to hold a iPod up so that or uh, an iPad up to the face of the individual so that the family could watch their loved one die. You don't have any idea how extreme this is, what toll this is taking on our healthcare workers, and we're gonna ask them for weeks and months to come to be there for us, and we're not helping them right now. This is hard. I mean, I'm just telling you, this is hard. And so, you know, we got a bad enough situation the way it is to, to cripple our response in any meaningful way right now. I, I just don't have the words to describe what the visceral feeling I have about this. You know, and if there are listeners in here that don't like me saying this, I don't care. I don't care because this is just wrong. 
And I think that's what people have to understand is we're trying to save people's lives. We're trying to minimize the impact on the economy. And this is not about partisan politics. It is not. California setting another grim record on the number of new coronavirus cases, just over 13,000 new positive tests reported today. And, you know, that's a scary jump over yesterday when it was just under 11,500 new cases. So, So the state is clearly headed in the wrong direction, and it's heading that way fast. There's a new statewide overnight curfew, 10 p.m., 5 a.m., going into effect for a month. Is it going to work, though? Dr. Mark Galley, California's Health and Human Services Secretary. So, Doctor, you've heard the criticism about this. People question whether, you know, just overnight is going to do anything for us. Yeah, first, thanks for having me on the show again. You're right, coronavirus can't tell time. It doesn't know the midday from the middle of the night. But we do know that certain types of activities and behaviors where your protective factors, your guard being up, uh, happens oftentimes during the day a little bit more than at night. And so the opportunity to limit chances for this virus to spread are important given the critical time and all the data you just shared. But you know, uh, as well as anybody, maybe even more than most, that the there's no great secret in trying to contain this and bring down the numbers. People have to maintain social distancing. They need to wear masks when they are outside and maybe sometimes inside, depending where they are. And yet, as you also know, I'm sure, there's wide resistance, even in so-called liberal California, to wearing masks. And there's almost no enforcement of it, even though you go through towns and they have little signs often that say, you know, mandatory masks wearing $300 fine for not doing it. And, you know, good luck trying to find an actual fine that's been given out. Yeah, I mean, you said it, and I would just underscore, actually, indoors, it's very important to wear your mask. And uh, earlier on your show, you heard another public health uh, leader to say even sometimes when you're at home with the people you love and know best, uh, important to keep them safe by wearing your mask. And all of these are tools that we have to try to get uh, increased usage of these protective factors, the physical distancing, that keeping your mask on, the staying home when you're sick, all of those things make a difference little by little. But in the aggregate, they can really turn that case number around and protect our health systems from uh, really, really hard times in the future. But, Doctor, the reason I, I, I asked that question was because, you know, frankly, it, we're nine months into this. People have already been quote, educated about what they need to do. Clearly, some people have decided they will do it, and some people have decided they are just not going to do it. So you can have all the curfews you want in the world. They're still going to walk around the street without masks. They're still going to gather with their friends. They're still going to go and party at other people's homes, even after a 10 o'clock curfew. How do you stop all of that? I mean, these are really hard things to stop. I mean, you're, you're, we, we have some tools, we've been using them all along and we try to use them at the right time for the right duration to get the maximal impact. And you're absolutely right. There'll probably be some people we can't convince with these new tools and applying them now, but we think there's a whole, a whole bunch of people out in California who with some reminders and some presentation of the data will make the choice to change their Thanksgiving plans because of the surge to decide not to have the gathering at 10 or 11 p.m. because of what we put out. So we believe every little bit makes a difference. And that's why we do what we do. And 
uh, with the news you shared earlier on your show about vaccines and hope in, in you know, the beginning of next year for especially the most vulnerable, um, our message is California, keep doing what you've done in the past. We have done it before, and now's a critical time to keep our guard up. Let's talk about those vaccines. What's being done to try and make sure that that uh, rollout, if it hits some bumps in the road, it's going to be complicated, this we know, uh, that it goes as, as smoothly as possible here in the state? Well, we have, and the governor has alluded to this, we've been preparing since April. We've had, uh, you know, by the federal government's report, one of the strongest plans to be ready for when vaccines available. We've heard that for um, our healthcare workers and the most vulnerable, we'll start getting some vaccine supply at the end of the uh, end of December. And that's what we're tracking towards, working at the state level with our county partners, hospital delivery systems, and other clinics. Uh, skilled nursing facilities to make sure everyone's ready, ordering the supplies, making sure we have the right storage. We've done this before, right? Flu vaccine every year. We have the goal of vaccinating every Californian, and we set this up. This is more complicated, but we have a good track record and a foundation to build upon. Dr. Mark Galley, California's Health and Human Services Secretary. Doctor, thanks. The surge of coronavirus cases across the country comes at a time when many people could be heading home for the holidays. Despite health official pleading with Americans not to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday the normal way, many Americans just cannot, cannot wait to cut the turkey and share the sweet potato pie. That is making me so hungry. <laughs> so if you insist on having the Thanksgiving celebration during the pandemic, what can you do to make sure no one gets sick after the turkey dinner. WBBM's Cisco Cotto spoke with Dr. Chris Colbert, Assistant Program Director, the Emergency Medicine Residency Program at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Obviously, we have a lot of our leaders saying do not travel over Thanksgiving. We know that we're not supposed to be uh, doing that, but uh, let's speak to the people who are going to do that, whether they're going to travel to someone's house or they're going to have relatives in for Thanksgiving. Are there any things that they can do to stay safer, to decrease the risk of Spread. There are. Um, for those individuals who are going to have individuals over from outside, of course, our recommendation is always keep it small this year to keep it just with your immediate family. But for those individuals who are going to have travelers, our recommendation is big time is to separate the people at the table. Have one table in one room and one table in another room so you can have possibly three people to a table. Um, also enhancing this would be to Zoom and or to utilize some sort of social aspect of talking to a camera, talking to a computer so that individuals can have conversation. They're quote unquote at the table, but not physically present. Anything to decrease the opportunity from viral spread. Now, is there a risk from college students coming home? I mean, a lot of them are being tested on campus before they leave, but of course, that's not 100% necessarily. There, there is a huge risk, and that's because the the population of college students have are, are less of a at risk population than the individuals that are going to be at the Thanksgiving table. So, you can have a 21, 22 year old that's positive for COVID, but asymptomatic, just going about their day, having a good time. However, that individual that comes into contact with someone that has comorbidities or whose immune system is not as robust could possibly be a source of 
viral spreading. So that's something to be very cognizant of. So uh, let's say people are getting together and they're sharing uh, a meal. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming everyone has their own serving spoons or maybe you just have one person serving. <laughs> the whole thing gets complicated if you get together for a meal. It does get complicated. It does get complicated. And one way to do this is just to have the food provided in one specific room and have one individual making the plates. And then from there, um, taking your plates to your specific table. What, so it's not everyone grabbing the same food, same spoon for, for the mac and cheese, the same fork for the turkey as well. What are you telling your patients that have COVID, but maybe they don't need to be hospitalized? Maybe they're not that serious. Uh, what are you telling them about what to do as they head home? Hey, perfect question, um, because we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of that. And in fact, what our recommendations are, are number one, if you have a roommate or just other family members, um, you want to have designated rooms. So for those individuals that do test positive to maintain specific rooms, to maintain specific use of a restroom as well, um, and to also ensure that there's tons of cleaning on the desktops, on the kitchen tables, as well as the bathrooms. For years, Black Friday marked the unofficial start of the holiday shopping season, and it was all about crazy sales and even crazier shoppers barnstorming stores in the hours after Thanksgiving. Well, more recently, holiday sales started even earlier, and stores were open right through Thanksgiving itself. But, but this year, with the coronavirus pandemic as bad as it's been in this country, well, all of that is out of the window. Likely means a whole lot of online shopping. Mike Bruno is editorial director of CNN Underscore. That's CNN's product reviews and recommendation site. So, uh, Mike, other than Clorox wipes, what are some of the big items people are going to go after? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty broad this year, as you sort of alluded to there. I mean, you know, the the big answer is that they're going to probably be going online to buy everything that they were buying in years past uh, for holidays, they're going to be going online, both for the fact that their own safety, uh, retailers, the safety of their employees, and <clears throat> just kind of having a year where people got more and more used to buying online. Um, you know, that said, look, we at, at Underscore, we, we pivoted back in March, April, um, when things started to shut down to start to provide, you know, the service we provide to our readers. We really kind of kicked it up and said, well, what do we need? Right. Clorox wipes. What are things if you have to get on a road trip? So there was uh, you know, a lot of the kind of sort of emergency stuff that people were looking for. But it's it's evolved now and it's kind of become a thing where um, people are staying home more. Right. So there's a lot of stuff with mattresses and sleep stuff. And, you know, clothing, I think, is going to be something that a lot of retailers have struggled with throughout this um, pandemic that they're probably going to see a little bit of a tick down. But, you know, one of the things there you're seeing are people are buying. I mean, they are they're buying leggings and they're buying comfy sweatpants, sweatpants and sales shoes. through the roof. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, the, the retailers that have pivoted are going to be able to pick up that, um, you know, and then there's also just the smattering of electronics. People still want that PlayStation and they still want, you know, a pair of Apple AirPods Pro or whatever. So you're going to see a lot of that stuff, too. But I think the pivots are going to be a lot of comfort and home stuff. People are cooking more. That's another one. A lot of cooking, kitchen stuff. What is What does the landscape look like? Is there any uniformity into when the sales are going to go up, when items get released, all that kind of stuff? Is it like Black Friday or is this just, hey, here's four weeks or five weeks of sale items? Have at it, folks. Yeah, I mean, it's Look, it's probably, I think, the retailers and, frankly, at, at Underscored, we also hope it's kind of both. I mean, the answer is that they've they, – people have been going earlier and earlier with this. Um, with Black Friday, it's been pushed earlier and earlier. Amazon kind of kicked a lot of that stuff in. 
<clears throat> by having, you know, now it's called Cyber Week, which is a whole week leading up. Then they kind of extend the tail with Cyber Monday. So that's kind of been happening this year. Um, I think kind of what happened a little bit, it's easy to say, is Amazon's Prime Day due to COVID and supply chains and things screwing it up, as, as I'm sure everyone knows. Prime Day was in October rather than July. We were already butted up so close. I mean, it's crazy. We were already talking about the holidays before Halloween. It was it was nuts, but we were. And it kind of kicked it off even earlier than it was. So all through, you know, everyone from Macy's to Target to Walmart, all these companies and all these stores were kicking off their things all all month long. And that sort of follows a pattern. But, you know, if you, if you ask me, I think Black Friday is still going to come in. I mean, there's some data that shows that, you know, a lot of people have started their buying, but there's still only like about 25% of the buying is done. And the retailers still want to get a big boom on Black Friday. So they're still going to discount stuff. We're hearing some big discounts that won't even kick her out till like next Wednesday or Thursday. So I think it's a little bit of both. It remains to be seen what's going to happen. Overall, we're going to see a down in in store and we're going to see an up. This is the projections. We're going to see an up in digital that more than makes up for it. So fingers crossed we still have a big Black Friday, even though we will have had a longer season. Yes, but, you know, you mentioned several times Amazon. So if all that comes to pass, and I suspect you're right, it will. Does this all come at the expense of most other retailers? Is this going to be, you know, like a great year for Amazon? It's already been. But is it going to be a really terrific year for Amazon and maybe not so much for everybody else? Well, everybody else is broad, but I mean, generally with your question, I think you're, you're on something there. I mean, the online sales has been up huge and Amazon's cut is, is also huge and grown. So there's a bigger pie and they're taking more of it. So it's been huge for them. I think some of the other, like Walmart launched uh, Walmart plus, which is a similar subscription, $98 a year compared to the 120 for the prime, but same idea two day, you know, everyone's trying to get a piece, but that's another big box, you know? Yeah, I mean the, the the little guys are 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 having a hard time. I mean, you see it, right? I mean, you see, uh, you see it, everything from restaurants on down to to shops, and you know some of these shops are trying to play with things like, can we get folks to do uh, uh, curbside, right? And you see a lot of curbside even through Black Friday. If we could get them in there to do curbside, we avoid shipping. We can get people to buy more, and you know some of that's going to be there. But you know, then there's just the logistics of, you know, can, can can these companies handle curbside for a mass amount of people? So even some of the solutions that could help the little guy. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I think it's going to probably be, you know, in Q1 next year, we're going to really see how it shakes out. For, for the big ones, are they, for the in-store shoppers, if, if they, you know, are going to let some in and it's safe to go and all that, are they doing anything special? I saw Target was going to have some of the employees kind of roaming around and you could just check out in whatever aisle you're in. If you've got your stuff, you don't have to wait in lines, that kind of thing to make it a little bit easier for people who do go to the stores. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're hearing and that they're going to try to cap, you know, the amount of people in stores. And I mean, it, it completely depends. I think the doorbuster kind of idea was something that people were starting to scoff at anyway. And, you know, like things were open on Thanksgiving. And I know a couple of years ago they stopped doing that because they felt like, you know, let's not let, let, let's let people have a Thanksgiving and not put it in there. So we're going to go from kind of the sitting around the living room or sitting around the table and talking about rushing the store is going to be supplanted with like, you know, having another glass of wine and doing some couch <laughs> shopping out, yeah. on Thanksgiving. Uh, I think that's probably what it's going to be. But before you go, so you yeah. know everybody and you got to, can you get me an Xbox? <laughs> you can, you can I can't find one. get them. You, you hit eBay and you shell out about yeah, thousand dollars and you got yourself right. yeah, someone <laughs> you got else yourself you got. an Xbox. All right. Mike Bruno, editorial director, CNN underscore. That's their product reviews and recommendations. Site. You really want it, don't you? They, you know what? I went to Target yeah. and when they released the pre-orders uh -huh. and I had one. And then as I was clicking out to pay, it disappeared from my shopping cart. Oh, really? Cart. 
Yeah, so and I thought, in- if you know, if this was real life, no one would come up and take something out of my shopping cart. But on the internet, it, apparently they can. It slipped right through your electronic hands. So that was a fun, happy day. Oh, I'm Anyways, so sorry. Yeah, well, thousand bucks on eBay, <laughs> like you said. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. But you can't find Clorox wipes with us. We don't have any either. I have a secret stockpile. But you do. Lock and key. Uh-huh.